0: This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 150. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast,
1: where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus
0: on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. I'm really excited that you're here. Today on the show, I have Mark Henteman, my first Hollywood superstar. He started writing for David Letterman for The Late Night Show uh, up in New York, moved to LA, stumbled on the set of Family Guy, and started writing for them. And to try to get himself over the hump, he decided to invest some of the money that uh, he was given for a script upfront into a duplex. And he moved into one side and then into the other side. And it's therefore launched a real estate investing career that really allowed him to focus on what he really wanted to do the most, which is writing. So he talks about his journey, about what what he went through and how he kind of house hacked it and how he parlayed that into now over 180 units. And interestingly, all of them are in LA within just a couple miles of where he lives. Fascinating story. Let's get right into the call here with Mark Henteman. Here we go. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. I'm uh, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's not every day that we get a Hollywood superstar here, you know, uh, your executive director for Family Guy, nominated twice for a Primetime Emmy Award. But what's funny is in your Wikipedia entry, it says in kind of an aside, Mark, longtime real estate investor, which I thought was hysterical. And I want to talk to you about that. <laughs> so yeah. let's let's wind the clock back a little bit. Can you describe a little bit about when and why you got started in real estate? What was going on in your life at the time?
1: Sure. Absolutely. So I grew up in Cleveland and I wanted to be a writer. I liked writing and I moved to New York and I was that proverbial starving artist in New York. And I loved writing, but didn't love waking up in the middle of the night wondering how I was going to pay my rent and those things that went along with it. So when I got my first job, I worked for David Letterman in New York and then I came out to LA and got involved with a new show at the time called Family Guy that was just starting up. And with my first couple script payments of that, I wanted to invest in something. I was looking for some kind of financial stability and I bought a duplex
0: and wait a second. Wait a second. See, see, you get you get some extra money. The average normal American is not going thinking, oh, I'm where am I gonna invest it? Right. They're gonna like, I'm buying a car because that's what everybody else does. Why why in the world would someone like you, especially live in Hollywood, right? Yeah. When you're surrounded by by glitz and glamour. <laughs> by yeah. the way, I worked on a show
1: where we did, you know how they you remember they have like you get 13 episodes and then they call it the back nine. <laughs> the back second half of the season picked up. Yeah. If you're on yeah. a new show, I was on a show where we did our first 13 and the second we were waiting for our back nine and these were all brand new actors who hadn't been employed much and every one of them bought a new like SUV, like a Mercedes or Porsche SUV and of course we got canceled like three episodes later and that was the brutal. end of it.
0: Brutal. But but yet, here you are, you get a little extra money. Your first thought apparently is, oh, well, let me, where do I invest it? Why did you think that and not do what everybody else does, which is buy a fat car? I think I credit some of the traumatic experience of waking up in
1: the middle of the night, like wondering how I was going to pay my rent. Like I needed some financial security. I loved the pursuit of the writing business and the entertainment business, but I didn't, you know, I didn't love that aspect of uh, the financial instability that came along with it. So as soon as I had some money, I wanted to find a way to get some financial security.
0: That's very interesting, right? Because meanwhile, everyone's driving the shiny SUV or whatever, and you're, I don't know, what were you driving at the time?
1: I can't even remember. A <laughs> Honda? <laughs> not, even that, not, you know.
0: not that. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> not <clears throat> that. Totally. So it seems to me very interesting, Mark, that the thought of financial instability was the number one factor in your mind at the time with regards to finances. Yes, And I I thought, like, I always
1: was convinced that I was going to be out of work in six months at any given time. And
0: maybe even now, but I don't really care. But (laughs) is that essentially the path for the average, you know, writer or, or, or actor? Is that what you were seeing around you? A lot of instability? I think, you know, I was, you know, being from Ohio, I never knew
1: anybody that had been successful in the entertainment business. I had no contacts out here. So I didn't even think it was really plausible and realistic. So I was always waiting to be spit out of the industry. Like ever, I always assumed like, yeah, within three months I'm gonna get spit out, something's gonna happen, it, the show's gonna get canceled,
0: whatever. Okay. So that's pretty cool. So you you got you've got to start writing for family guy. It sounds like they give you a bunch of a lump sum up front so you had all this kind of this money laying around? Is that what happened?
1: Yeah, well you write a script and you get paid. I don't know, it's about 25,000 or something when you write a script. I think I re- I wrote two of them and you know, I had come out to LA with nothing in terms of money and actually debt. I came out with my wife and we had some student loans we we're still trying to pay off. And when I got this $50,000, I met a broker and told her, like, I'm interested in buying an investment property. Don't show me any cute houses. Show me something rough around the edges. It has to be the best investment I have ever made for this to be worthwhile. And, you know, to her credit, I didn't really think I'd ever speak with her again. I just gave her my, this is my criteria and I walked away. She called me a few weeks later and said, I found the property you need to buy, but it's got a catch. You need to become a landlord. And she showed me this rough duplex that happened to be in an area that I knew was rapidly improving. There was a lot of gentrification. It was right near this little village of coffee shops and restaurants that was really hot at the time. And I jumped in. And I, I got in a bidding war. Of course, it's LA. I think there was 14 other offers on the property. I was terrified. I didn't know how to value a property accurately. And so I was just flying by the seat of my pants on this roller coaster ride. And ultimately, I won the bid. I think the property was listed at 380000 I think I opened my offer at three fifty, And I ended up getting the property at 435000 when everyone else was out of the game.
0: Wow, that makes you the smartest guy or the dumbest guy <laughs> of the bunch, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah, who knew? I had no idea what I was doing.
1: But I, I kind of recognized that this property could look great if it had a little TLC, if it was fixed up, the area was improving. But yeah, I was like, I would never do that again. I would never overpay that much.
0: But I did. That's funny, but it's funny in hindsight. A lot of us, especially entrepreneurs, <laughs> we would never do that first, whatever we did ever again, knowing what we now know. <laughs> so ignorance basically gets us into the game, which is perfect. That's exactly what, what it's there for. <laughs> yeah. So what happened with the duplex? Did, it, did you lose your shirt or what happened? No. I So I jumped in, rolled up my
1: sleeves, embraced becoming a landlord. For those who watch Family Guy, my first tenant was Mike Henry, who plays Cleveland and Herbert and Consuela. And, you know, he was a good tenant to learn by, you know, he, he was a slob, a bit of a slob and hounded, but I was, we were buddies and, and it was fun. And then he had moved and, and I turned the units a couple times, increased rents, got out of PMI after about a year and a half. And at the same time, rates were going down. So I think I jumped from like a seven and a half percent to about a four and a half percent Uh, With a refi. During this whole time, I was convinced I had probably made a big mistake with this. I was riding it. I couldn't tell if this was a good investment or not, but we were in the mid 2000s and I was benefiting from the appreciation that was happening everywhere during the mid 2000s. And in 2005, I sold the property and I had fixed it up. I had done a sort of a decent remodel to the rental unit next door, but the owner's unit, I kind of tricked out and really made it nice. And I had the help of a designer friend who does uh, kitchen remodels and, and we sold the property for that. I had purchased for 435,000. I sold it for 1.27 million. And because you know I wasn't smart enough to take advantage of the, what is it? The three or 4% down that you could put with like a first time FHA loan.
0: Yeah.
1: I just did a standard 10%. But you know, my down payment was $43,000 and I had $800,000 in profits at the end of it. And I had read books during, uh, during the time that I owned this property and I had learned and I approached my accountant and I said, hey, can we take the primary residence tax credit on my unit and then do a 1031 exchange on the other unit? And they said, yes, you can. And so... I paid no taxes on the gain, no taxes ever on $500,000 of that $800,000 gain. And then the other $300,000 was 1031 exchanged. Put all that money into new multifamily, into a 14-unit building and a six-unit building. And I was hooked by that time. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like this has given me pretty rapid financial stability I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I was committed to doing that.
0: That's amazing. When did you finally realize the power of real estate? Like, when, when did it really start making a difference to your life? Like you said, you didn't really know if it was a good deal. But at one point, did the light bulb go off? And it was probably before you sold that uh, duplex. I mean, what yeah. what made that light bulb go off? That hey, man, this is pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, you're right.
1: I was kind of oblivious to whether this was a good investment or not, and often I was fretting over the broken dishwasher in the, the next door neighbor's uh, unit. You know, There was always these little repairs, these little headaches, and there were costs that were adding up. There were a couple hundred dollars. What I wasn't aware of is these great invisible forces that come with real estate. I was benefiting tremendously by natural appreciation just because I was riding a good market, but also you know, the depreciation of the property, of the loan pay down that was happening Off of my radar, I wasn't even aware of it. And then also I had rental income. So there's these multiple forces that are part of real estate investment that are working in your favor. And I had never experienced that before. Like my whole life, I always felt like all those invisible forces were working against you. You know okay. anything you're not aware of, and it's that's way in the stock market I find too is like, yeah, if you're not aware of it, it's probably working against you
0: <laughs> that's right, and here it's actually not were you actually at one point making money on a cash flow basis on this thing or or never really? yes, yeah,
1: and to answer the question about when I realized it was when i I refinanced, I got rid of pmI, I went from I think a seven and a half to like a four I think it was maybe four and three quarters loan, and that combination along with the fact that the next door unit had turned and I was able to increase the rents by about $250, I came away from that first refi, which was after about 18 months of owning it. Suddenly, all of my expenses were being paid. So the mortgage, the insurance, the taxes, and I think all the utilities on both sides of the duplex were being paid by the tenant. And this is a 3,000 square foot duplex that I was the owner of, and I was paying nothing. And I had come from a one-bedroom apartment where I was paying $1,200 a month, and it was maybe 600 square feet. So I had this big property, and that's when it sort of dawned on me, like, this is the greatest thing ever.
0: Yeah, because you were living in one of the units, right? Yes, Yeah, that's right. So, had you done an FHA loan, right, you wouldn't have had put nearly as much down, but but you did anyway. But it sounds like, and when you first got into it, it wasn't cash flowing, or was it?
1: No, I had no grasp of cash flow. I knew because I had also been looking at single family homes, so I just knew that I was going to pay a mortgage every month. But with this duplex, I was going to get some income. And I think you know when I started, maybe the rents were like thirteen hundred for the next door unit. But then by the time I sold, it was two thousand.
0: But nevertheless, not knowing, understanding cash flow, when you got into this deal, you would have had to pay thirteen hundred dollars rent somewhere else, right? Were you paying thirteen hundred dollars in rent, or were you paying less because of the fact that you were had a rent a tenant next door?
1: When I started, I was probably paying about two thousand a month. As my responsibility of the mortgage, but then when I refi, got rid of PMI, that significantly reduced my monthly costs.
0: Yeah, is that a great way? Would you uh, would you suggest house hacking in that in that way? Does that does that typically work fairly well? I think so. I think if you could find a
1: a house hack opportunity where you can improve the property, in basically improving the property provides a hedge against any economic volatility. So you would hope that in a, in a normal circumstances, your building is going to be appreciating somewhat every year, but adding value to the property, even if the economy is going down and the values are going down, you're gonna be bucking that trend by adding value to, you're gonna be forcing appreciation.
0: Yeah, that's right. So did you do your second deal before you sold us or did you, was a sale of that first duplex, did that kind of throw you into kind of doing multiple uh, additional deals?
1: No, I was hooked very early on, like within a year and a half or so of buying this building. I was in this duplex and I was looking across the street at the sixplex and the fourplex and I believed (laughs) in economies of scale. I would be like, oh, it would be so great to have six units because then one unit goes vacant, you're know, you covered, you're not going to sweat it. Whereas in a single-family home, you know, somebody moves out, you've got the entire property is vacant with no cash flow and you're responsible for it. I was on board with multifamily investing right away. I believed in the economies of scale, one roof, one plumbing system. It just seemed like a great model. And so I started buying.
0: You did. So you were saving as much money as you could and you started buying these small multifamilies? Yes.
1: I was kind of trying to pump all of the income that I made from scripts or show fees that i got into real estate
0: and what was that doing to your income i mean it sounds like in the beginning maybe cash flow was a little tight or, or was it i mean were you starting to make money at what point did it make a material difference to you and maybe even equal to the income from uh, from the writing you know i had always in knock on wood i have stayed steadily
1: employed in the entertainment business for 20 years now without a break so I've never needed the rental income to support me. And what I've been doing is I keep buying value-add buildings and pumping the cash flow into those buildings. So even now, you know, I have 185 units now and they kick off almost a million dollars in passive income. But I'm pumping all of that back in because I'm doing bigger and bigger rehabs. Someday I'll- convert that to, you know, something I live off of. But
0: luckily, I haven't had to resort to that at the moment. Obviously, you love what you're doing with the the writing and the directing. What difference has the real estate side made to you, uh, you know, as as a person or maybe even professionally? What, you know, compare that with maybe what if you hadn't done that first duplex? So what difference has it made to you? I think it's
1: made it more enjoyable. It's taken the financial aspects of it kind of out of the equation. I mean, one thing I've noticed, and I noticed this as soon as I got into real estate investing, real estate investing is such a better economic model than the entertainment businesses. In the entertainment business, you're paying agents, lawyers, managers, you're paying union dues, you're getting taxed at about 50% of income. But, you know, the money is good, but real estate is just this great economic model. It's so tax efficient. It's so, you know, the income comes in and I, I really like that. And so I don't really worry about the money aspects of the television or the entertainment business income. I do it for fun. I get well paid and I'm just I'm always pumping it in to just build this real estate because I have this saying that I have and, and I tell friends that, you know, I'll, whenever the entertainment business decides to spit me out, that's fine, but I'm going to do real estate investing until I'm a hundred.
0: <laughs> that's very good. Mark, what what's your perfect day look like? My perfect day?
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I like what I do. I love both things that I do. I love going to work. I laugh a lot. The people that I work with make me laugh. I think that's kind of a special thing is to be, you know, middle-aged and, and you go to work and, and you're actually laughing like a, a fourth grader half the day. But I also, you know, I get home, I mean... I don't plan this or this isn't my agenda, but I come home from work and I jump right into real estate and I have this obsession with it and I love finding properties. I love, I have this entrepreneurial drive, I think, and I think I always have that, you know, you're creating your own future with this kind of thing. My perfect day is going to work, writing jokes for family guy or pilots or whatever, and then uh, working on real estate networking, looking for properties.
0: That's awesome. So you are living your perfect day every day then? <laughs> yeah. Spending time with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fabulous. Now, of course, we're we're wondering in LA, my goodness, you have 185 units. What in the world are you buying in LA that makes any kind of sense at all? You know, people always say that I think LA
1: is great. And what I what I find there is I find that rent control is a great opportunity if you can navigate it. And also, LA has you know such strict building restrictions and regulations, and there's such a lack of land that the inventory doesn't seem to keep up with demand. And there's chronic undersupply. And specifically in the type of product that I buy, I buy B in class multifamily buildings in up-and-coming areas. And that's what I do living here. I I usually invest within a couple miles from where I live, so I can see the pockets. I know those neighborhoods intimately. I know what's up and coming. Downtown LA used to be basically Skid Row, if you're familiar with what's happening in LA. Downtown LA used to be a ghost town, but during the mid-2000s, there was a huge wave of construction going on there, and a lot of jobs went down there. And now it's like this really vibrant place with a lot of restaurants and and employment is down there. And then also, I'm sandwiched b- between downtown and Hollywood. And so I just kind of look in that geographic area. Koreatown is, is right next to me. And there's tons of opportunity to buy existing product, which is you know maybe 40 to 50-year-old multifamily buildings that are B&C class. It's affordable. That type of product is in drastic undersupply. And I find opportunities all the time. Not all the time. I mean, they're hard.
0: Yeah. Okay. So they're not falling in your lap, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're you're hustling yeah. out there. You're you're making calls. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. Yeah. Clearly. So it's an example that you can find deals in almost uh, any market. But I think a lot of it is just spending time there, having the relationships, probably with brokers, maybe even with the sellers directly. So that's really really key.
1: Yeah. You know, I didn't have a an agenda when I set out to build a network of brokers, but I think just over the years I've gotten to know them. I'm friends with them. They've sold buildings of mine. And yeah, I get brought a lot of deals. And then I'll also hunt. And I always look for the lowest cost per square foot. If I had to pick a metric that's most important to me, it's cost per square foot. And maybe some of the reason that that's important to me is a function of being in LA. LA is like a core major city. And so when you're in that geographic core, there's just inherent value there that will always be in demand. There's jobs. There's people that always want to live there. So I try to find the cheapest properties in the best areas and get in at a price that's almost comparable to what the land is worth. And then you just have this building. If you could improve it, it's all gravy.
0: Yeah, that's right. You got to be able to prove it as well. Now, you also recently got into syndications. How how was that? Was that pretty easy for you or 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 maybe a little more challenging?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd had partnerships before and I had basically I'd become an evangelist for real estate investing and brought some of my co-workers and colleagues into deals with me, but about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I was ready to slow down. I was like, all right, this market is very heated. I'm going to wait and just sit on the sidelines. And I had bought, I think I had already bought maybe 45 units in early 2018. But a broker friend of mine who I've done a lot of business with, he came to me and he said, he said, I've got this opportunity. This seller is motivated. I know that he's motivated. You should try for it. And so I looked, I had just purchased a 36 unit building in LA and it was Expensive I didn't have the funds and so I was like, all right, I'm gonna syndicate these I know people that have been asking me to invest with me And so I I did it not in the smartest way I removed contingencies and I knew like I looked at could I handle this if I can't get anyone to invest with me Could I handle this? You know, I could I would tap my equity lines and stuff like that But I could get it done. There was actually three buildings involved and it was about a ten million dollar deal And I committed to it and then scrambled. It was intense. The timeline, the greatest pressure came from, you know, the 60 days that we had to close. And I needed to line up investors. I needed to line up legal documents, accounting, all that stuff. I don't really want to go through that again because it was so intense, but uh, survived and got it done. And I'm thrilled those buildings are doing very well.
0: That is outstanding. That's it. Mark, what's your advice for someone, you know, we sit in their cubicle, or whatever, and we're like, man, I got to get out of this. I want to do things I really love to do, like right. What is your advice to someone to try to get them off the fence and taking action? Yeah, I think what you've got to do is like you say, you've got to take some
1: action. I think, you know, the best thing going in the investment world is possibly house hacking. If you can take advantage of that, is it three or 4% down? You can leverage such a small amount of money into something with a huge potential for value and appreciation. I think, uh, I, think I would recommend, you know, get into a duplex or get into a four unit building and find something, you know, number one, find a good area, you know, target the area that you wanna look in, And find an area that's on the rise, that's up and coming, that's still affordable. And then find, you know, look for the cheapest multifamily, four unit, you know, one to four unit buildings you can, and then inspect them well, stay away from major foundation issues or plumbing, but add value to those. And I think if you do that, if you can add value and you can also take advantage of that leverage, I mean, if it's 4%. You're literally, you have a 25 multiple on every dollar that you add in value, and that could be enormous.
0: That's great, great advice. And by the way, a lot of people who no longer have to work for a living started exactly in the way that you described. So it's a very, very valid strategy. Mark, how do people best connect with you?
1: You can email me directly at my full name, markhenteman at me.com. I also started a company called Quantum Capital uh, a couple of years ago. For all my real estate investing, we have a website, quantumcapitalinc.com,
0: and you can reach me through there as well. Well, great. It sounds like you might not be done with syndication. So, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Michael. It was a thrill to be involved. There's a common theme a lot of entrepreneurs. If you ask them how they get started, they all talk about just doing it, not having it figured out. In fact, doing some arguably bad deals. And if I look back at my own history of of the way I did things, the first house flip I did, the first restaurant I opened, you know, I would never just do those deals again. And there's a certain amount of ignorance that basically shields us from knowing the entire truth. <laughs> because if we knew the entire truth, we would never do those deals. So ignorance is actually sometimes in this case bliss. I find, on the other hand, people who uh, suffer from analysis paralysis never get out of the gate because they feel like they need to be 100% ready before they jump in. It's like one of those things, you know, if if you're father-to-be, how can you ever be ready for fatherhood? Like, honestly, you can't. I mean, you can read every book out there. You can attend classes. But at the end of the day, there's nothing, nothing you can do to prepare yourself for fatherhood. So what do you do? You just grin and bear it. You just get into it, figure it out, learn on the job. It's a pattern I see with a lot of entrepreneurs. So don't beat yourself up if you're not gonna be 100% ready or if the time's not 100% right because it never is and you never will be. So really just do it. The second key takeaway, because I see this now as a pretty common pattern, is this house hacking idea. And a lot of people have done this. Keith Weinhold with Get Rich Education, Tyler Chef. There's a couple other people in the recent past, uh, clearly here, Mark Henteman as well. House hacking means that you basically buy a duplex or triplex or quad, you get into it for a first time home buying FHA loan that requires three to 4% down, you got to live in it for a year, which is fine. And just follow exactly what Mark talks about in the show. And that is how you get yourself into the game. Very, very powerful. Definitely consider it. Number two, don't wait to syndicate, okay, accelerate don't wait to syndicate accelerate do it now plenty of people on the show are doing great have done great in multifamily without syndicating but they all by their own admission know they could have accelerated their path by syndicating a lot more and you can see by by mark's comments though it was pretty traumatizing he created a company so he can syndicate more deals because he sees the power of the syndication so don't wait to syndicate accelerate all right guys so it's one of those things where if you haven't done your first deal yet there's really three things you need and mark talked about a lot of them first of all you need deal flow and you need money and you need a team around that now we're going to talk about a team but we're running out of time but mark feels very very strongly about the team and that your performance as a team You can only do whatever your weakest link in the team can do. And so your team is super, super important. So if you haven't done your first deal yet, you don't have one or more of these elements in place. So it's really, really important that you have that. I was really encouraged today. We had a a group call with some of our mentoring students. And what happens is we all kind of grow up in, you know, we take a seminar or mentoring program of some sort. And some people then, most people gravitate towards the syndication side of things, meaning that I'm finding the deal, I'm finding the money, I'm putting the management in place, I am managing the asset once it closes, but there's a good number who gravitate towards the money raising side of things. And you still need the same amount of education, you still need the confidence, you still need to be able to explain multifamily to investors. But the point is this, instead of you going out finding deals, you actually concentrate on raising money and you bring your investors into a syndication, like for us or for others as well. And for that you get general partner equity, it's a very, very powerful thing to do. So in our programs, we encourage all those things, anything we can do to get you in your first deal that's what we do, especially if you're in one of our mentoring programs. We're looking we're constantly looking for ways that you can get into general partnership equity. Because if you say you're a GP in a 545 unit, that is a snowball effect, it triggers the law of the first deal gives you humongous confidence and credibility, allowing you to raise more money, find more deals, and things of that nature. So if you're interested in our mentoring program, we can really accelerate your timeline and uh, go kind of bigger faster. You can find out more at the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor and sign up uh, for one of our Free strategy sessions and see if it's right for you. All right, guys, hope you found that useful and you were inspired by Mark's story. If he can do it as a, as a starving artist, you should be able to do it as well. Great, thanks so much. Catch you next episode.
1: Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to MichaelBlock.com. There, you can also download the free ebook. The secret to raising money to buy your first apartment building. Till next time.